Welcome to Broke Talk Podcast, where the mission is to help people recognize things that are broke and unabashedly talk about it. You can follow us on Instagram at Broke Talk Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Broke Talk. I really appreciate your support, so thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to speak to Razi Jaffrey, who is the director and producer of Hemtramck USA, a documentary about Hemtramck and its politics. I will post the links, but you can check this out on DocNYC. Even though I live in Hemtramck and I grew up in Hemtramck, I got a lot out of this documentary. It's super enlightening to see my community and members of my community speak and be filmed in such an interesting light. Razi Joffrey is an Indian immigrant. He grew up in Detroit, but takes an interest in Hemtramck. He also has his engineering degree, but he is now a graduate student at U of M Ann Arbor School of Art and Design. I'm excited to have you here, so let's listen. Okay, so you just told me you um, were an, you are an immigrant from India. So what age did you move here to America? Uh, I, I moved to the United States uh, when I was about a year and a half with my family. Oh, same. Um, I was born in, yeah, I was born in northern India uh, in a town called Aligarh. And uh, so we moved here. We moved to Detroit. We lived in the Cass Corridor. And I went to Burton um, when I was a kid. And then, yeah. So uh, what did you take away from moving, uh, uh, growing up in Detroit? I mean, it was it was really tough. This was in the 1980s, and so there were a lot of um, the uh, social issues that were social, economic, you know, political issues that were kind of um, festering. You know, in the in the prior couple decades, uh, were really starting to explode uh, in Detroit at that time. You know, including the crack ep- epidemic, the homelessness, uh, crime. Uh, so it's a very difficult time to live in Detroit, especially where we were in the Cass Corridor at the time. Um, you know, my family experienced a lot of um, difficulty living there. And so collectively, you know, we, we also lived there as like a large, larger extended family unit too. I mean, we had our own place, but then, you know, there were my cousins, my aunts and uncles. And so it's like a lot of immigrant families, we kind of moved as a unit. And so my cousins moved to uh, Taylor and then my family moved to Taylor and then uh, they moved out, they moved to Dearborn. And then my family moved to, bought a house in Taylor, and then, uh, and then my parents moved to Woodhaven, and now they live in Canton. Um, and then my cousins also, they live in Canton, Woodhaven, or I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Canton and Northville, you know, that, that part of the, you know, part of the area. So, but I mean, I think the takeaways is just like, you know, at that time, is just such a humble beginning, you know? Um, we were all struggling. We all had to start school all over again. I mean, my dad had to go back to school again. And, and um, you know, he was going to Eastern Michigan while we lived in this apartment in Detroit. Yeah. And, um, and I think like it brought my family very close together. I have like really fond memories of um, my cousins and I just like hanging out together and like playing all the time. and. Uh, you know, we were all very young. We were all in like middle school and elementary school. And so um, I just have like really fond memories. And we even now we'll kind of just joke about all the time that, you know, we all spent together, you know, and we live very close. So we just like run to the other person's house and they would come <laughs> over and, 
And it was like that in the other apartments too. When we moved to Taylor too, it was like, we all live in the same apartment complex. And so we would just like see each other all the time, you know, and we would play soccer and tennis and, (laughs) you know, just do all kinds of things, you know? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like being back home where everyone is in the same Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you know, my when I go back home, it's like, you know, um, it's that's the same thing. It's like, you know, there's no formality. You just like walk into somebody's house, you know, without asking. And you know, today and in America, that would be considered very rude. You know, we don't do that with our cousins today. You know, but uh, you know, at a time that was like socially acceptable when we were kind of new to the country. You know, so. um, But I have very, I have very fun, fun memories of that. And and of course, it was very difficult because we were all experiencing you know, poverty and, and, and kind of struggling economically to find our footing, uh, you know, and, and, you know, making sure everybody was getting an education and things like that, you know. Right. So it's great that your dad went back to school. That's amazing. That's very commendable. Um, my dad had to, he had to work. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. He had to work very hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, language barrier of course is the hardest part, I'm sure. Um, so my dad, personally never went back to school. He just kept working um, very, very hard. Um, but so, and we live in Hemchamek and we're Bangladeshi. So I think that really sets the tone. Um, so what was your interest in Hemchamek and the immigrant community here? Well, I think like, you know, growing up, I, um, you know, I kind of wanted to shy away from my culture and, you know, even being Muslim, like I really didn't want too much to, to do with it. And I think, you know, uh, like a lot of young immigrants, I just wanted to fit in just like everybody else. And so I think, you know, that was, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, something that, you know, I, I kind of look back on and laugh about because now it's like, I'm so, um, connected to my culture and to my faith. And, and I think what the real kind of thing was that changed things for me was 9-11, you know, when 9-11 happened, there was a lot of, questions and there were a lot of issues in our community and and so I basically was forced to give myself a new new education and um and forced you know to you know learn things about you know about Islam and you know about kind of what was happening geopolitically in the region and the Middle East and what had happened in the Muslim world really in the last you know 100 150 years with colonialism and you know all that kind of thing so I kind of experienced like a revival um and um so that kind of brought me back, you know, into things. And I think, you know, later on, as I got older, and I just became more and more interested in, in, in the culture and the community. And I think Hamtramck um, kind of fell off my radar for a while. I think when I was a kid, it was the place where you would go to go get Desi groceries, you know, Indian, Pakistani, okay. South Asian groceries, you know, and or clothes if you needed clothes, you know. Um, and uh, so then it kind of fell off my radar for a while. And I think when I moved back to Detroit, it kind of, you know, had this, um, you know, hipster vibe where like, you know, I, I started seeing like a lot of like young friends moving in there. And then I, of course, like, you know, uh, really enjoyed eating in Hamtramck and, uh, and then it kind of turned into a little bit of an obsession. And I think in 2015, you know, 2014, 2015, I started visiting Hamtramck a little bit more and spending time here eating at the restaurants. And I had a few friends that lived here too. And then in 2016, um, you know, when uh, Donald Trump got elected uh, president um, in the elections that year, um, I was uh, spending time with a filmmaker um, friend of mine who was working on a story about the about that election that year. And 
And, and I had worked on uh, a couple of photography projects and I had done a lot of photography in Hamtramck too. And so we had talked about collaborating together on a documentary film. So that's where that idea was born out of, but I think it was kind of a slow romance with Hamtramck, yeah. you know, that it was building up. It was like, I was kind of dating Hamtramck for a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we were hanging out and then, uh, and then, yeah. And then when the film started and I just kind of completely fell in love and I, I live here now, you know, um, oh, awesome. I, I wasn't sure if you knew that, knew that or not, but I, I, I live in Hamtramck now. And, and, and I think that, that move to Hamtramck was really uh, born out of the experience of working on the film. You know, I just uh, really fell in love with the people and the community and the architecture and um, of course the food and, and, yeah. you know, all the cool things that, you know, you have in town. And so. That's awesome. So why focus on politics on the documentary? Is it because well, it's in a, a way, I mean, I think common denominator. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we live in a democracy. And so regardless of what your background is, that's the, that's the process one has to engage with um, in order to uh, um, civically engage in order to, you know, fight for your rights in order to um, win rights for your community in order, in order to represent yourself. And so uh, in a way, the you know the film is about the sort of the complexities of multiculturalism, mm -hmm. um, but anchored through the framework of the elections. Um, and the elections just kind of provide a backstory to, um, you know, allow us to be able to tell a story about this town, you know, which is very unique and you know very interesting, but also um, not so unique in some ways because there's a lot of cities in America that are experiencing similar uh, demographic changes and shifts. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, but the elections, yeah, kind of just provided that. Also, the, democracy in America is just a, a type of, you know, political theater that provides just incredible drama, you know, and, you know, the whole time, you know, building up to the 2016, uh, you know, presidential elections, uh, you know, all the things that Donald Trump was saying, which were, you know, I would say largely, largely meaningless, you know, that they really didn't mean anything except that they carried a lot of weight. Uh, you know, all the racism and the prejudice and, you know, it's not actually true, you know, what he was saying about Mexicans or Muslims or anything mm -hmm. like that, you know, it's just not really based on fact, but, but it actually carried a lot of weight and it influenced a lot of people. And so, I, I mean, I, you know, that, that the arena of politics can be very, um, uh, you know, uh, can be very dangerous, it can be very powerful, it can be very influential. So, you know, it provides a great platform to be able to tell a story like a town about Hamtramck about, you know, so. Right. There was a very important part for me in the documentary, and it was when Padel was speaking, Padel, an Arab American, was speaking to a group of Bengalis. And he said, you know, it's not customary or it's not um, uh, a common thing that we vote for another uh, race here yeah. in Hamtramck, even though we are Muslim. So that really... Um, impacted me uh, personally so and it shows the stereotypes that we have in our community even in the muslim community so for you yeah. did um, what did the documentary change in terms of your mindset maybe about other muslims about yourself and how did that help you yeah i mean i think you know uh I, 
it's it's this is an issue about identity politics and and so identifying with one's community in the political um, you know uh, arena uh, and and simply voting for somebody just because they're from your community or only investing in those issues that are uh, relevant or pertinent to your community um, and so uh, obviously you're going to have a lot of that in America identity politics is uh, you know, part of the political landscape. And also it's a strategic thing as well for some people. Uh, and, you know, uh, but I, one of the things I think that it, it flips on top of its head is this idea that Muslims only care about their own issues. Uh, and, and so obviously you had a non-Muslim candidate that ran against a Muslim candidate and she was elected uh, to the mayor position by a Muslim majority population. So it shows that, you know, the Muslims were not only concerned about electing the, the person that represented their faith uh, simply because he was from the faith. They wanted to do what they felt was best for the city, which is elect the best candidate. And they felt that that was Karen, not Muhammad, you know, Muhammad Hassan. Um, and the same thing, you know, I think one of the things is our community matures and we begin to build bridges with other uh, communities, other segments of our uh, of our own community then this will start to come down, you know, more and more uh, because it's true. I mean, I think, you know, in the first few decades, probably the Bangladeshi, the Yemeni community was largely supporting candidates from their own community. But as these communities become more sophisticated, more integrated, you know, even through things like intermarriage and things like that, you're going to see more um, cooperation and collaboration. Uh, but then every community has a right to vote however it wants to and support whatever candidates it wants to. And so nobody should look down on somebody for voting for Karen. You know, nobody should look down on somebody for voting for Muhammad Hassan or another candidate. You know, one of the things we all have a responsibility for is to be responsible and informed voters and just know, you know, know the issues and know who we're, we're voting for. But somebody like Karen, she could not have won uh, the mayoral, uh, you know, uh, uh, position if she did not campaign in the Muslim community in amongst the various communities, amongst mm -hmm. the Yemenis, amongst the Bangladeshis, uh, the Bosnians, so on and so forth, you know, because when you say the Muslim community of Hamtramck, um, yeah, I mean, we are all, you know, united by our faith, but we're also siloed and segmented by our culture. You know, and so you have uh, the Bosnian community, you have the Yemeni community, you have African American Muslims, you have, you know, you have uh, Bengali Muslims, and so they don't all have the same goals always. Uh, sometimes they do. Now, one of the things that you find about a place like Hamtramck is that people are more united by class than anything else. You know, so if uh, GM wants to close a factory and you know a thousand people lose their jobs that's affecting everybody, regardless of what their ethnic background is. Mm -hmm. So can you uh, go into that a little bit about the class? Well, I mean, I, you know, Hamtramck is a working class, you know, community, you know, mm -hmm. very blue collar, you know, the people that work here, that live here, you know, own small businesses or, you know, work uh, labor jobs. Um, and I myself, I'm, I'm a student, you know, um, and as, as an artist, you know, this is a great place to live because it's very affordable, but, you know, a lot of people live here out of necessity, you know? Um, and so I think that's the one thing that can really unite um, workers and, you know, blue collar workers and, and, and working class communities is, is, is our class status, you know, because we're all trying to fight for a better life 
you know, for ourselves and have better amenities, have safer streets, you know, have better communities and, and, and work, you know, we all want to be able to work and put our labor to good use. And, 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 and so, you know, that's the point. I mean, I think, you know, there was a point where, uh, when these factories were open, you know, in Hamtramck, you know, some still are, but uh, a lot of them have closed where a, a Bengali pers- person, you know, was working side by side with a Polish guy. You know, somebody who's from a Hungarian background is working next to a Yemeni person or a Syrian person or Iraqi person. And so the thing that's dividing them is, yeah, their ethnicity, religion and culture, but they're also united or in the same situation because of their economic status, right. you know, or their class status. And that's more you know. impactful. Very true. It, 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 yeah, it, it can be more impactful. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of the main concerns that human beings have is being able to survive and provide for our families, you know, um, right. it's, you know, and then being able to work is something that gives people a sense of meaning in life and being able to have a business and, and to support your family and things like that. That is, I mean, that is, these are universal issues, you know, it doesn't matter if you're right. Bengali or Polish or, or Ukrainian, um, you know, being able to provide for your family is uh, the utmost important thing, you know, and so right. that's what I think our communities united on. So. Mm-hmm. And hopefully with the movie and, you know, with all this um, commitment to change that's going on, the poor white people that voted for Trump start to understand that Trump will never truly understand them because of the class issue. And, you know, just harping and reiterating what you just said, that poor white person working at the factory is going to get along more with his Polish coworker that's right alongside with him. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think, you know, it's one of the things that he was really good at kind of convincing people that he's a working man's, you know, politician, but, um, but, you know, I think, you know, that working class communities have suffered for many, many decades. Um, And, and it's something that I think, you know, we need to really kind of wake up, you know, about um, and, and really unite communities, you know, as well, because there's a lot of things that bring us together you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, one of the byproducts, and it's it's kind of obvious, you know, it's not really worth going into that much, but um, he definitely uh, fomented some of the racial and ethnic, um, you know, divisions and fault lines in our country um, around changing demographics and things like that, you know, and so, you know, it just, it, it wasn't a good period for that, you know, so hopefully we can start repairing that and turn it around. Definitely. Um, So a word that I see follows you around a lot is Muslim visibility. And so your other project, Halal Metropolis, I think is focused around this. What is Muslim visibility and why is it important? Well, you know, in a, in a kind of a simple sense, visibility is just um, the idea that you are seen uh, and that you're, you know, you're present and you're heard, you know, in, 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 a, in, in kind of a public way, you know, And so, you know, for me in my work with Halal Metropolis, um, you know, visibility, you know, has to do with politics. It has to do with culture and cultural production. Um, It has to do with food and fashion and design, you know, um, all of the things that make a community visible. Politics is a process, Uh, you know, fashion is a product, Uh, you know, but all of these things, you know, create artifacts that make a community visible. And one of the things that happened after Trump got elected was, uh, there was already a bit of a rise in Muslim candidates in the last, you know, um, six to eight years. 
but there was an explosion of Muslim candidates mm. uh, in 2018, uh, you know, with Rashida and Ilhan Omar get, being elected. And, uh, you know, there were many people that ran for state office and regional community county office and city office um, here in Michigan, you know, Abdul Al-Sayed who ran for governor. Um, and so this brought a lot of visibility. And, and one of the ways uh, in, in which any community becomes um, hyper visible to a larger uh, community or larger audience is through the political arena. And often that's driven or motivated by a uh, sense of um, discrimination or a sense of being marginalized. So community is able to fight for its rights through the political um, arena. You know, and the other things are, I think, if you look at like the cultural impact that Muslims have had on uh, Southeast Michigan through halal food and, you know, particularly Middle Eastern food and things like that, you know, um, you see like a really major impact, you know, Dearborn is, and even Hamtramck are considered destinations, you know, for, mm -hmm. you know, for food and, and, you know, people are eating halal food without, you know, sort of knowing, you know, th 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 there's more of an awareness about it. And, you know, I think people are able to like recognize these things and, you know, and, and, and so um, that's really what, what it comes down to. And, you know, the project Halal Metropolis is, you know, a, a, you know, it's a term that we use to describe any region or city or place uh, in America where Muslims can be themselves, practice their faith without any hindrance, um, and contribute to that community with all of their talents and abilities. And Hamtramck is completely a halal metropolis. I mean, you know, you look at the visibility in Hamtramck, it's really pronounced. But at the same time, the important thing actually about a place like Hamtramck is that the Muslims really saved Hamtramck. Uh, when there was a major white flight from uh, the, the people that were leaving, largely Polish communities leaving because they had no jobs and there was really not, you know, a big incentive to stay here. And then also some people left for economic opportunities and bigger homes and driveways and better schools and things like that, you know, but that left a major vacuum, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And that allowed, you know, in some ways, the Bangladeshi community, a really great opportunity uh, to move in here and start buying the homes and moving other families in here as well. And, and, and you know, buying properties and, uh, and, and living in properties that would otherwise have been uh, unoccupied and vacant, you know. Uh, and so that's a major, major contribution. Uh, and it's also a type of visibility that I don't think is recognized, you know, as well. We look at the development of Detroit and the revitalization of Detroit through the lens of major, major uh, economic development projects and big box stores and things like that, you know, Nike and Under Armour and Buffalo Wild Wings opening a store in downtown Detroit. Well, that really doesn't affect that many people and it doesn't really affect a community uh, in, in that much of a positive way. But, you know, you have a couple families that buy vacant foreclosed abandoned homes in a place like Hamtramck and you've turned around a block, then you've turned around a neighborhood, then you've right. turned around a city, you know, and that's kind of what's happened with Hamtramck. I mean, you know, we still have our struggles, um, economic struggles in Hamtramck. It's still very poor. There's a budget shortfalls of the government, but, um, you know, the, I think our community really did a lot to stabilize it. Right. And now there's a lot of art and artists that are popping up, you know, people are moving in here and yeah, it really makes the um, city even more colorful. So that's amazing. Um, vibrant, yeah. Yeah. And I went to, you know, I only could go to one of your shows, but even when I went there, I met a lot of other Muslims that I normally wouldn't have. And I think that's an aspect mm -hmm. of Muslim visibility as well. And of course I met you who, um, 
yeah. is a very similar story to myself. You got your engineering degree first, and then now you pursue <laughs> art, and you have a really um, huge interest in politics, it shows. So this is obvious to a brown person why you would pursue engineering first, but tell me your story. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of hinted at my upbringing uh, you know, earlier, uh, growing up in a working class family, uh, growing up in an immigrant family, you know, there's like certain expectations. And, and, and I think I was uh, undergirded, you know, often my mo motivations were undergirded by those immigrant ideals and, uh, you know, fear of poverty and, and, uh, you know, wanting to make something of myself. And all I knew was engineering, medicine, maybe law, and maybe business or accounting or something like that, you know, and as, as th those are all I knew as respectable careers. <laughs> and so I chose engineering because, you know, I wanted a stable job and I wanted to make a lot of money and, and I wanted to, yeah, just like have some a, a job and a career that was recognizable, identifiable. And, and so I got all of that, you know, but it, it wasn't happy. You know, I was a bit of a tortured soul working in corporate America. And so you know, for a long time, I really suffered and struggled in terms of figuring out what I wanted to do and, and constantly coming up with a new plan of like, oh, I could do this, I could do that, or I could like leave at this point, I could go to graduate school. I never had enough activation energy to actually make a choice and, and, and do it um, until I went through a major life, uh, you know, loss. Basically, I went through a divorce. I was married for um, seven years and I went through a divorce and I you know, realized that, you know, I, I just, you know, needed to do something else. And, and I thought I was kind of just taking a break from corporate America, but um, that break ended up being much longer. So that was the spring of 2015, you know, um, and then, you know, today is, yeah, fall, winter of 2020, 2020, so it's five years now, you know, it was supposed to be a couple month experiment, you know, but that's how it went. You know, I think I just realized that I wanted to, try something different and, you know, just feel something and do work that's more meaningful and, and purpose-driven and that brought me fulfillment because the work that I was doing prior to this as an engineer, mm -hmm. it's perfectly respectable work, you know, to be honest. And, you know, I had a really good lifestyle and, you know, made some good money and, um, you know, sometimes I kind of look back on it now and, you know, the, I'm kind of reminded of how, you know, what I left behind, you know, but but for the most part, you know, I'm much, much, much happier now. You know, just the money, money mm -hmm. can't really buy you happiness in that way. Um, you know, it can just make your life easier in some ways, but it, you know, will not make you happy. And it's cliche, you know, but it's very true, you know. So yeah, we, you, you can make a lot of money and live a very meaningless life, you know, without, if you don't have community, spirituality, you know, um, a connection to, you know, things that are bigger than you, you know, family, children, a uh, relationship, um, you know, and, and I think when, when it comes to work, you know, I think that's something that, you know, is really afflicting a large segment of our uh, millennial population. I, I consider myself a millennial and an older millennial, but, <laughs> but I think it's like something that's particular to, to this generation is that there's a, there's a type of collective um, disenchantment with corporate America and a certain type of uh, materialism. And, and, and I just find that a lot of my friends are interested in leaving and, and doing something more meaningful and fulfilling with their life. And that's kind of a newer, you know, uh, phenomenon to be experienced across like such a large segment of the population. So, 
Right. I had the same struggle too. And, and I worked in corporate America and it was a lot of people of, um, you know, white people, unfortunately. And I just felt like I couldn't fit in or express myself. So it pushed me to leave um, into the arts as well. So what made you move to the arts specifically and what did your parents um, feel about it? Well, I mean, I think uh, also I should say about your, you know, issue in corporate America, it's not the, it's not necessarily, it's not the white people that make it unbearable, you know, it's, it's the environment. It's just like the sort of, you know, the sort of, you know, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean because I also experienced a lot of racism in corporate America too. And a lot of type of like sort of patronizing, uh, you know, being spoken to in a way that's patronizing and infantilizing and, 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 but it's, it's really the kind of the structure, the lingo, the jargon, the, the expectations, the, the whole culture of corporate America, um, it just makes it so unbearable, you know, it just really weighs on you and weighs on your conscious. I mean, you know, to, to answer your question, I think, you know, for me, I, I think I've, I'd always been interested in art. I, I've always been interested in photography. I grew up like drawing and sketching. And actually as a child growing up, what I wanted to be growing up was an architect. And I got scared when I was starting college and I thought, oh, I wouldn't be able to make money and uh, I wouldn't have a stable job. And, um, and, and, you know, that's why I switched to engineering uh, because I thought it would be just more bankable and more solid and stable. Um, but I had always had an interest in art and creative work and making. Um, and, you know, in fact, I remember we'd gone family vacations and, you know, I would do a lot of the photography, you know, um, and I recently sort of re-inherited our family uh, camera, film camera, um, that I'm hoping to start using again as well. It's an old Minolta. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, the, then the kind of the bigger thing is that I think I love telling stories mm -hmm. and being a storyteller. There's all these different avenues. I mean, you can be a writer, you can be a poet, you can be, you know, um, uh, you can be a filmmaker, um, you know, um, a journalist. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, I, you know, I, I just love the visual medium. I mean, I think like, you know, it's pictures say a thousand words and, you know, and so, um, I, th I think that's kind of where the interest was. I'd always been interested in visual art and, and it kind of just went from there. You know, I started focusing on my photography more when I left, you know, when I left corporate America, um, I took it more seriously. And, and, and then I started working on projects, but the big thing was I was accepted to a photojournalism fellowship called documenting Detroit, uh, photojournalism and documentary photography fellowship. Um, and uh, so that was in 2016. So it was a year after, you know, I left my job. And um, that really changed my life because it gave me the confidence and the ability and the resources to take a nascent idea from my mind and to package it together as, as a story, you know. And, and of course, that was the same year that I started working on my documentary film as well. So that was a very formative and important time in my life it was summer of 2016 um, when I got accepted to Documenting Detroit. That's awesome. And I think a lot of the uh, brown and black communities don't know that there are so many grants and uh, fellowships mm -hmm. and scholarships that they can actively apply to at any point. Um, and it really yeah, I, and I try to encourage, I try to encourage people to apply to these things too. I've tried to help people 
um, with uh, grant applications and things like that, you know, and, and, you know, actually it's one of my big goals as a graduate student, you know, getting an MFA is that, you know, I ultimately want to be able to teach and support and mentor other young Muslim and, and artists of color uh, and support them in their careers, you know, and help them get, get, get on, uh, you know, uh, track and find resources that they wouldn't have known about, you know, because we, we need a lot of support. There's not a lot of us that are in, in this industry or in these fields. And so, we have to really latch on to the people that um, are doing it, and and you know, uh, try to get try to get their mentorship and advice and how to how to make it happen properly. So, right. Um, so, is the curriculum harder or more difficult since you got an engineering background? Did you have to like tune your brain a little differently now that you you are pursuing a um, art and design graduate? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've always been a liberal arts minded person. So like, I like thinking and reading. Um, and our program is very liberal arts centric. You know, there's, uh, we study a lot of critical theory and, um, and uh, we do a lot of research and then we have to write a thesis, you know, at the end, in, in addition to actually making artwork. Um, and then in terms of the, the studio work, uh, it's like, that's work that I've been doing anyways. You know, I've been practicing as an artist, you know, and so this is just focused time to be able to make art, you know, and U of M provides really great resources to be able to do that. And so I wouldn't say it's harder. It is very different. I mean, I haven't written a paper in many years. And so that's a just different type of, you know, productivity. And I'm a very distracted person. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a very short attention span. And so it, that makes it hard to do things like that, that require long periods of sitting and writing, you know, so. Right. But that's good. You made a dramatic switch and you are succeeding in it. So that's good news for everyone else who's thinking about yeah, switching their career. Yeah. That's awesome. What yeah, was your favorite part of um, recording the documentary? Um, I, I think the relationships, you know, we, we, you know, we made a lot of really great relationships that many of them we still have today. I mean, you know, people like Kamal, who I like adore and uh, Abraham, you know, Ayash and uh, Fadal al-Marsumi and Karen. And, and now, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was so attracted to everybody that I, partly that's the reason why I moved here. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's, it's, it's the relationships. I mean, I, I, I could never forget these people. They're so special and they, they really honored us by um, opening themselves up to be recorded in this way. It's very personal. And, you know, um, I remember spending so much time with Karen in her shop, you know, talking about her taking care of her mom, driving to Indiana um, to take care of her mom. You know, Kamal actually lost his, um, <laughs> sorry, that's my cat. <laughs> uh, Kam Kamal uh, lost his mom uh, during the course of the filming. And, uh, and so, hi buddy. Um, and so I think like those kind of relationships were what really, um, you know, were the most meaningful experiences, you know, so for me. Right. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I have, a, I have a partner that I made the film with, Justin, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we both feel the same way, um, you know, so. Yeah, that's, I would say that's the key to any sort of project. You have to get... Um, the best out of it and the relationships that you make with the, your team is really, really important. And mm -hmm. if you can leave any project with anything, it's that having a connection to another human being. 
So, so people watching within people watching the documentary within the community, what is one takeaway that you would like for them to have? Well, I mean, I think, you know, a couple things. One is that the importance of political engagement um, and, and why we should, why we should be involved in the political process and why representation is very, very important. And, uh, you know, I would just emphasize that, you know, and if you don't participate, um, then you're not represented, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, what's the saying, if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, and so um, I, I think it's very true. And then the other thing is that I think audiences need to understand uh, Islam and the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. There's a tremendous amount of Islamophobia in America, and it's really rampant. It's it exists in politics, it exists in the media, and you know I, I think we don't necessarily need people to like us, but we do need and want people to see us as human beings. And so if if I can convince people to to that effect, then um, that's a big part of my job is to you know, look, you know, we're here, we're American, just like, you know, everybody else. And we've been here for a long time. There is no point in American history where Islam was not practiced on American soil. In fact, Islam predates, um, you know, the formation of the country, you know, and so, um, you know, I I think, I think just, you know, uh, knowing who Muslims are, um, you know, knowing that we care about, you know, this political process, and we care about our communities, I think is also really important. Right. And I think other Muslims not from Hamtramck will benefit from watching the documentary because as Muslims, we are all so different. I think we I even know, pray know, yeah. slightly yeah. different too, which I caught in the um, documentary. I was like, I don't pray that way <laughs> when I saw the yeah. Yemenis praying. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of differences and I think, you know, people, when they speak about Muslims and Islam, they have to understand, you know, which ones are you talking about? You know, uh, there's 2 billion of us, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, so much diversity. And in America, Islam is the most diverse religion in the country. And so, you know, it's very difficult to make broad strokes, but that's kind of what, what you see in politics and the media and American culture, you know, so Mm -hmm. hopefully that, you know, continues to change, you know, over time. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sitting with me. I hope everybody watches the documentary. I really got a lot out of it and I can't wait to see your other projects. Thank you. Yeah. You can watch the film, uh, for, I think about another week, um, at doc NYC. So if you want to share that link, um, you know, with your audience, then uh, still a couple days left to watch it. So awesome. All right. Thank you, Razi. Thank you.